welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is your Warhammer 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I am your host, Mr. Petey Pob, and with me I have my two wonderful regular co-hosts, Brandon Grant. That's me. And Scary from Scardcast. I am back! <laughs> 2021! New He's year. here! I hath appeared! On 1-11-2021, the Scary it's has risen. three days from my birthday. Write it oh down. Oh my god. Make sure that you know that that's my birthday, and I expect birthday presents from all of you. What do you What do you want for your birthday, Scary? <laughs> I want peace on Earth. Okay, what else do you want? Something <laughs> a little warmer, I, related. I want the crystallized remains of a farseer, um, made into a enhancing sniffing powder. Okay, definitely peace on Earth. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> I can think of some things that would come pretty close, but not that. <laughs> uh, that's just a description of Adrenalite. Adrenalite? Ooh. No, Splintermind. That is literally the description of Splintermind. Huh, that's that's literally a drug. Is. Okay, well, then some crazy drugs over there in Kamara. <laughs> Anyways, if you're listening to this episode, uh, you are listening to it on Tuesday morning. No, no, you're listening to this Tuesday morning on the 18th, or the 19th, excuse me. Um, this episode was recorded one week ahead, and it was also given to the patrons early. So they got exclusive early access to this episode. They got to listen to it live and watch us, you know, talk, and they got to see Scary's awesome, actually all of our awesome facial hair. Uh, and then at the end, they got to ask us questions. So head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. That's something that you're interested in doing, looking at some extra live content. Now, if you clicked on this episode, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about the big FAQ. That's right. It's here. It's here to stay. GW updated a lot. and We're going to break it all down for you. We're also going to talk about what our New Year's resolutions are. I know last week, Colin, Peter, and Adam Camel-Harry, we all talked about our New Year's resolutions and setting goals for yourself. So I wanted to extend that further to two 40k chapter tactics veterans in Scar and Brandon, just to hear what they have to say about setting goals for themselves for the year of 2021. All right. Also, don't forget to buy stuff from FrontlineGaming.org. This episode was brought to you by the Frontline Gaming Network and all that good stuff. So we're actually just going to jump right into it. Um, we're going to start with just the core rulebook. So there's so much to go so much to talk about. I think it's going to easily be the majority of the podcast. And I, I think I'm just going to go line by line here um, with the core rulebook, and then we'll talk about the the mission pack as well. I think those are the two most holistic rules that everyone is looking at. Um, there's also a ton of rules changes in there specifically. Um, so we're going to go line by line there, and then afterwards we're going to talk about our factions. Uh, what factions we notice, what factions we think are going to uh, come out on top from these changes, and what factions maybe, maybe uh, didn't need to get nerfed as much as they should have. All right, first things first, uh, we're going um, first page, reinforcements, units, and engagement range. So this one, uh, this one was definitely, in my opinion, a head slap. So as I understand it, so this is, um, they're rechanging the way reinforcements are measured to units vertically, enemy units specifically. As, and as I understand it, and Skari and Brandon, maybe you can help me figure this out. Now, if you... When you measure ver- vertically, it's true distance, meaning that you can once again deep strike onto a building and then charge 
using the floor rules and get a shorter inch range, a la last edition, the thing they had to nerf. That's yeah, right. I, like, it's... Honestly, that's just how math works. It's nice to see that they put Pythagorean Theorem in, like, a 40k FAQ, you yeah. know. Um, however, it's just a very simple solution. You don't want that to happen to you. Put something on the bottom floor and push them the full true nine. You know what I mean? Like, just, you just need just, one model on the bottom floor. Yeah, you just need to push them truly and understand that it's a tr triple space thing, especially with the ability to engagement, like, vertically versus like you know horizontally so yeah you just want to be you want to be careful about that stuff and just knowing about that that's the way the math works just allows you to do stuff to prevent it so you know what i mean yeah i i, I understand i think that's a really optimistic way to look at it um i definitely went into it with like a, a head slap moment just because they did last edition they it, they didn't define it, so there was some confusion, and then they changed it so that you couldn't do it, and then that's the way it was, and then they reverted it back in ninth edition, and you know it's just like it's like they're hot and you're cold, you know. Yes and well, no. Well, before like, before it was what it was is it was the fly combined with this rule. That's, that's true. what that's what they had FAQ'd. The fact that you could grab a model with a jump pack and put it on the top of a building where the unit was at the bottom or vice versa and vertically or horizontally vertically it was like nine inches minimum right or whatever because you still measured true distance and then horizontally was less than an inch you literally right under because you fly you would ignore vertical distance in the charge okay. phase so they fix that saying that the other thing the whole math and the amount of distance that you need that that's just because they changed engagement range to stop it from making it impossible for you to charge things that are on the second floor of a building. Like, if you're underneath something, you can still fight them, so I'm not blocking off a whole first floor to make sure that you just can't charge me. So they took away that whole, you know, unfun part of the non-interaction part of the game and said, hey, if you're just clumped up onto the top of a floor, even night can punch you because it's literally going to come in and start hacking away at the second floor of the building. Um, does that mean that if you're on the second floor and a deep striker comes close that they get a lower charge? Sure. So just make sure that you plan that when you play the game and physically take steps to zone out your your area so that you don't get charged easily. That's a wonderful explanation, Scary. And Summit is saying it's a small price to pay to give uh, charging units from reserve a slightly shorter charge to avoid all the shenanigans associated with one inch charges from flying units and um, totally blocking charges from being impossible. Yeah, actually, you know, I, I, Scary, you flipped me, you flipped the rhino. Um, absolutely. Um, I didn't think, I didn't realize that the fly keyword, I, I understand that the fly keyword works differently in ninth edition, but it didn't occur to me that that's what made it super powerful and it didn't make that connection. So that, no, that's great. Um, I, I really like that. I think that's a good rules clarification from GW. Um, and I would like to take back what I said. It's not a head-slapping moment. Actually, kind of a cool move. There are some good head-slapping moments, though, which <laughs> we'll there get are. to. You know, it is a Games Workshop FAQ, I would say. <laughs> and I would hope that you keep both hands on the wheel while you're driving, while you're listening to this podcast, because some of them are double head slaps, and you might have to alternate the slap with different hands while you're driving to be safe on the road. We need a we need a synchronized head slap at least <laughs> once this where everyone even if you're driving but do it carefully and safely.
We'll just all do one yeah, head slap. If you mean head slap as in people were asking, then sure. But for the most part, I thought that these were nice for clearing things up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, face palm, head slap, whatever. Anyways, uh, next rule, uh, we have the deploying. Deploying large models change. Um, <clears throat> this one just made it easier for large models to deploy um, if they can't fit in the deployment zone. Let's just put it out there. This kind of took that whole Orion Custodes thing. It was like, okay, you're allowed to deploy your Orion Custodes thing um, if you don't physically fit in your deployment zone, but at yes. the expense of, I believe, not being able to move on the first turn or something like that. Um, I'm not exactly sure I read all of it, but it just means if you have a big model that's too big for your deployment, it's not like relegated to reserves. Yes. Yeah, and, and this is this is fine. I mean, I, I think we were all kind of playing this, you know, kind of, you know, specifically. Obviously, GW doesn't, GW doesn't want us to not be able to use one of their models as intended. So, yeah, it's fine. Uh, there's a change to psychic actions. Essentially, psychic actions now count as having manifested a psychic power as well. So if you perform a psychic action for your secondaries, uh, it counts as manifesting a psychic power for rules purposes. Again, common sense. Yep, it's it's perfectly fine. I love that they're they're clarifying what psychic actions do further. Love that. That's great. Um, out of phase rules and embarking on transports. When a unit uses a rule to make a move as if it were the movement phase, all normal rules that would apply in the movement phase apply when making that move. For example, models in that unit cannot finish that move within engaged range of any models. And if every every model in that unit finishes that move wholly within three inches of a friendly transport. They can embark within that transport model following the normal movement phase rules. Basically, this is just saying you apply the 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 models count as having moved in the transport. Yes, just like a normal move. Yes. So an out of sequence move is resolved just like a normal move. Yes. Which I love being a proponent and user of fire and fade. It's very nice that it's like finally laid out, clear as day. That it's a normal move, which means you can't do it out of deep strike. You can't fire and fade out of combat. You know. Um, however, on the flip side, there's some shenanigans you can still do with it, <laughs> mm. like um, uh, going back into your transport. Uh, anyways, yes, it, it's <laughs> it's it's a good some more, more good clarification from GW. Definitely nothing wrong with that. Uh, they also changed uh, the embark rule a little bit. Um, They're just clarifying that. You can't, you don't exist on the table. When yes. you're in a transport, there is nothing that can affect you. Yes. So no stratagems, no unit abilities from other units. Yeah, and I like that clarification because it means that your tank busters who have the ability to reroll hits while they're in a transport, now, well, before they didn't, they lost the ability to reroll hits against tanks, but now they can benefit from their own abilities. They just don't get like auras and stuff, which is, I believe, what was intended originally. They just had to switch a very crucial word. It would also mean you can blow yourself up with plasma, which is nice. Yes. Um, they changed while we stand, we fight, um, basically making it so that the unit's points costs includes all the war gears and we weapons, everything you paid for it. And if your unit splits, you have to kill every split unit. But on top of that, Pablo, it's not most expensive model. That's what it used to be. It's most expensive oh. units. Which is crucial because certain armies, big. like Sisters of Battle and Space Marines, could make an army where their three most expensive models were all characters. And uh, at that point, it was really easy to get while we stand, we fight, because those are the last three models on the table. Um, so with this new change, it's 
more fair across all armies because not every army can make three characters their most expensive models and still have a good army. So it makes more sense to make it most expensive units. Yeah, that, that's actually, um, I, I completely missed the unit thing there too. I, I read it too and I was like, oh, unit, blah, 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 blah. And I, wait, wait a minute, this split up? And yeah, that's that's brilliant. Um, I also think it gives you a little more flexibility uh, when you're designing your list for While We Stand We Fight. Um, some armies or some playstyles simply don't have a large expensive model to use. Yeah. So it's just like, eh, you know, but this actually lets you um, kind of build around specific large, like large Terminator units. Dark Angels Terminators love this. Like, you know, the big 10 man blocks so, of Dark Angels Terminators. So good. I love that it opened up the secondary to so many different factions, not necessarily ones that could have big, killy characters, but also have units that didn't have very expensive models that were very, very useful, aka Chaos, Space Marines, which were some of the biggest proponents of this. So being able to build a big unit. Now there is some stuff that this is a facepalm moment where I'm like, okay, and then you clarify that if the unit splits up, you have to kill every element of the unit. So now you're looking at what? A unit of basilisks, you have it to kill each one, or manticores, now it's one unit, deploy it, they're all separate, you have to kill each unit separately to get all the points. Uh, Alaris terminators, or like if they split up, all of a sudden you're looking at each individual Alaris, you have to kill all of them to get yep. those points. So in some situations, it's going to be a lot harder to get that while we stand we fight against certain units, but it's nice that more armies have access to that secondary as a choice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Um, moving on to uh, uh, the always fight first, fight last, um, using the counteroffensive stratagem. Basically, if, you're, if you are um, fighting last because of a rule, um, you cannot be selected as a target for the counteroffensive stratagem because you can't physically fight second. So just some rules clarifications there. This was actually big because for different armies, it was working differently. So, for example, the Drakari fight last ability was interruptible, while the Space Marine version was not. So it. it's nice that they're changing this so that everyone works the same way. If you yeah. strike last, then you can't interrupt and get in the sequence. Okay. Um, uh, they, they changed some uh, rules about uh, repositioning, repositioning replacement units, basically. You fail your action if you out-of-phase reposition or things like that. Which uh, makes is sense. wonderful. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it's not something that was rules as written, but it makes a lot of sense if you're planting a flag on the objective. Get teleported off that objective. You can't be still planting the flag on it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, it, perfect. It, it, you know, it's kind of the way I played it anyways, but, um, you know, good that they clarified that. Um, they changed the uh, mul multiple hit rules for attacks. Uh, basically, just kind of standardized it. I don't think there's anything else there. Like they're, just they're just making it so you don't cluster explode. So if we're reading this correctly, it says uh, make two hit rolls instead of one. In this, in these cases, each hit roll is treated mm -hmm. as a separate attack made against the same target. Fine. All normal rules that are triggered by attacks or that apply to attacks, such as rerolls or modifiers, apply to each hit roll. Note that these additional attacks do not themselves result in more hit rolls being made. Yep. So they're, they basically, it's a replacement effect. So in Magic, this would be a static replacement effect where you don't generate a new thing out of thin air. It just replaces what you would normally have done with yeah. extra things. So it's people were playing easy. it where when you rerolled a miss, you would make two attacks instead of one. Yes. Yeah, that's not right. 
yeah, it's 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 essentially w- w- the way you look at it is you the the roll the hit rolls go into stasis when you make your result. Then you take all the, for instance, if you're hitting on sixes, you're exploding on sixes. You take all the sixes out, or you you convert all of the sixes to an extra hit. You roll those dice, and then those dice those results get applied. And then after all of that, that's when you move on from the hit roll. So if you if you play magic and you know magic rules, it's replacement. It's literally a replacement effect. Kelsey in the chat knows what I'm talking about. All right. Uh, uh, they changed aircraft. I actually didn't read this one. I didn't see it on my first read through. Basically, uh... they changed the ways bombs work, uh, you know, as well, where like if you have an ability or something from a... F- um... Oh, they can change. That's This is yeah. the one where they where uh, fly models of the fly keyword can charge aircraft models. Yes. Yes. As All long right. as the air, as long as the section says that they can, it overrides the core rule book that says they can't. Yeah. Yeah. The basic, simple. That's what it was like last edition. Again, so. a lot of these are just very common sense. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Same with the next one: disembarking large models. If your model has a base bigger than three inches in diameter, you just have to have a part of your base within one inch of the transport's base or hull when you disembark, and you just keep doing everything normally from there. Now, this one is interesting, right? Because you could absolutely abuse this, right? So if you... I don't can't think of any models off the top of my head where you could happen, but if you had a model with, like, an, an oval-shaped base... I think this um, is going to come up in maybe Apocalypse, where you have maybe, like, lots of super heavy transports, like Thunderhawks, with big models in them. Yeah, if you can transport Outrider bikes, uh, the Outrider bikes... Um, I'm but not sure those if you are can 100% oval bases, so it has to have every part of the base bigger than three inches across. Because it says oh. if it is impossible. So if it is oh. possible to set it up wholly within three, you must do that. Right. So there's like a situation with like Tyranids here where, you know, some Tyranid monsters wouldn't fit in like a mycetic spore or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So now you can like just be like okay i've got a big monster that's way too big to fit wholly within three of this mycetic spore but i can just follow these rules now and still be able to deep strike something big in a mycetic yeah. spore right yeah i i guess i guess the the situations i was thinking of specifically are for models that like i'll just use the outrider bike example if if you could put outriders in a, a transport of some kind right um and you drove into enemy territory where you can't disembark around the hole so you have to you have to um, use this rule to disembark. So you would be able to disembark so that you're not within one inch of any enemy models, but you have to be holding within the base. You could tilt the oval Outrider bikes to extend them further yeah, past. that's not yeah. how this would work. It says because the model is too large, as in, in a vacuum, you can never deploy it correctly. Then this rule kicks in. Got it. Okay. I feel like... I feel like there might need a little more clarification, but I understand. It's basically it has nothing to do with what the state of the f- battlefield at all whatsoever. No, it's just your model's base is too big. Okay, you can actually disembark from the transport and not be stuck in it until it explodes. It is a buff for for big model bases for big chonky boys coming out of oh, transports. Yeah, absolutely, they, they get an extra charge range. Rules as written, it's exploitable because you can be like my terminators are on five inch bases for some reason. But I think any TO that is reasonable is going to say, no, no, you have to use whatever the standard is that comes out yeah, of the no. box. Yeah, yeah. That, that goes back to the age-old adage of, um, of putting your scouts on land or um, on uh, Imperial Knight bases. Oh, no. <laughs> Anyways. Please don't. 
No. All right. Um, uh, they changed some rules to the uh, aircraft running off the edge. Um, uh, they also kind of well, clarified... like bombers. They clarified bombers going yes. off the edge, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can fly um, off the table and still drop bombs. Yeah, it basically yes. means that they basically end their move just before they go off the table to do all their actions, and then they go off the table. <laughs> Essentially, they kind of said that in convoluted ways, which does mean things like void raven bombers and other bombers and you know orc bar- burner bombers and stuff like all of a sudden like all of these bombers that can like if you go first you know and you've got like bombers in your army you could literally just like like do some bombing like on that first turn and get some like work done and fly off the table so your opponent can't do anything to your flyers on that on their first turn which i think is really cool yeah yeah um they changed they, they basically made it so that um, if you have a rule that prevents you from setting up reinforcements within 12 inches of you, that always takes precedence except for very specific situations. Like when you're deploying one inch from your battlefield edge in your deployment zone for rules like that, which makes sense. Um, I'm sure there were times when you could line your opponent's backfield with like infiltrators or something and then just have them not come on the board naturally in your deployment zone because they were all there blocking you. Yep. So. And once again, they're saying, no, no, we really meant it. You can come on the table no matter what. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, you can't croot someone and wipe out their whole army. Uh, yep. Yep. I remember that picture. That's a classic. That's a classic. Go online. Look up the croot beating the white scars player 40 K at the uh, ETC. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I never actually met either of those players. Um, I think one of them played in my area for a little bit, but anyways. Alright, um, defensive rules that apply to attacks with specific characteristics. To summarize this one, if you have attacks that buff your armor penetration, whatever your final armor penetration is, that is what you use for determining if another rule ignores your armor pen. So if I have an Imagifier that ignores AP1, you have an AP0 weapon that gets boosted to AP-1, it still gets ignored. Yes. Um, kind of a simple little change. Basically, you do all the math first, and then you apply everything else. Uh, they changed the splitting units with um, effects that affected split units. Basically, uh, you they basically the rules continue to apply. So if you if you buff a unit and then it splits into another unit with a stratagem or whatever, you still get the buff at least until you know however long the the end of the turn or whatever. After Makes that, sense. they become separate units. Very 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 simple. Kind of like that. There was. There's definitely um, some needed clarification of that, I feel. Um, but also, splitting units isn't very common. So, you know, yeah. Anyways. Uh, shooting while it's embarked on a transport. I figured I'd just let Skari talk about this. This is a lot of reading, and I never shoot from transports with any of my armies. <laughs> so, of course, you uh, look at the person who has a lot of open-top transports and says, you must know exactly what is going on right now with this. Is that, is that kind of how that worked? Seems fair. Yeah, yeah that, definitely, that definitely does seem fair. Okay, so okay. shooting while embarked with transports. Um, so, there, like, open-topped uh, is like a rule that, interacts weirdly with transport so they kind of put in this like giant nine nine point um rule ruling for rare rules that kind of deals with it number one you can't use stratagems on units that are inside um uh transports basically they just kind of clarified that secondly 
you measure line of sight and distances from any point on the transport model, right? Which is kind of what you normally did anyway if you were a dark Eldar model. If the transport model made a normal move, advanced or fell back or remained stationary, embarked units consider have done the same. So whatever the transport is doing, falling back, advancing, moving, like, you know, it counts as the, the models inside are by uh, restricted the same way. If the transport is engaged in engagement range of enemy units, it can they can shoot if they're allowed to shoot. The the models can, but they um, can only shoot with pistols. So they basically can shoot at the unit that the transport's in the, is engaged with. The embarked unit is not affected by uh, auras of any other unit. Basically, if a unit was under the effect of a rule. When it embarked on it, such a rule is bound it during the command phase, psychic power. Those rules do not apply when it's uh, whilst it is embarked. So if you say use a command like a command phase ability on a unit and then subsequently subsequently embark them into a transport, you know they do no longer they don't no longer affected by that ability while they're in that transport. So they kind of can lose a, bo a buff or a bonus. Um, any abilities, including detachment abilities they, that a unit may have or that their weapons have, continue to apply when they make range attacks. So you can still use your innate rerolls or your chapter tactics or your obsessions or whatever it is while you're inside of a transport. Um, if a restriction applies to the transport, that same restriction applies to units embarked. For example, if the transport is not eligible to shoot because it advanced or fell back, the passengers are not eligible to shoot, for example. And if a transport model is under the effects of modifiers to ranged attacks, then the same applier is, is done to the embarked models. So if you have, a, say, a raider, and you cast the horror on it, and you give a minus one to hit on the raider, it'll also affect the models inside. But subsequently, if I had, say, a flayed skull raider and gave it a plus one to hit units to fly, it would affect the models inside as well. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like a cool, interesting thing where you can, um, you know, kind of like, uh, it's it, it clears up a few things, but it makes it more of a interactive um like unit slash they there but they're not there and they benefit but they don't but it's nice that they laid it out a lot more clearly than it was before now to summarize in one line it would be the unit inside is in a pocket dimension where only itself can affect <laughs> itself uh, except for sometimes friendly things and the transport when it gets affected is the only thing outside of that dimension that affects the unit inside yeah basically um, and then to add on to that, um, more transport clarifications. Uh, finally, uh, you if you have a rule that lets you count as remaining stationary, that does not allow you to move out of transport if the transport is moved. Basically. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, ba basically a, more clarification to a rule that um, I personally didn't have um, an issue reading raw, but, I, you know, thank you for clarifying it, GW. Uh, but yeah, basically, if you can't, if the transport moves... You can't disembark from the transport if you have a rule that says that counts you as remaining stationary, unless the transport has a rule that says you can disembark like after it moved. Yeah, like exactly, like a Valkyrie. So um, Space Marine players, I know you are the biggest perpetrators of this, so you can't do it. Stop it. 
All right. Uh, and then finally, um, they added a rules terms glossary thing, which I fucking love. Excuse me. This is a this is a family podcast, um, which I really, really love. Um, and that's basically they clarified what a move is um, when they're when a rule refers to move, moves, moving movements. They're talking about a normal move, which is actually defined in the rule book. Yep. So they just all those terms are interchangeable. Yes, which I kind of always thought they were, but definitely needed clarification because having um, consistent vernacular and consistent terms across all of your rules is critical to a good, concise rule set, which which is what this is. So, well, well I mean, which is what this rule is. Uh, the rule set itself, I, I like it, but, you know, that's an opinion. So, all right. It looks like we lost... Oh, no, Brandon just muted himself. All right. Um... Next up, we're talking. Uh, we're going to talk about the Grand Tournament Mission Pack. So this largely will affect all of you tournament players, ITCers. Um, it's I like a lot of the changes. Um, they didn't change a whole lot, but they changed enough to really kind of shake things up a little. Uh, the first things first, the big one: uh, players when players roll off, the winner always takes first turn. So now, if you win the roll off, you don't get to decide if you went first or second or not. Uh, Brandon and I actually have different views on that, so I'm going to let Brandon talk about what what he thinks about this first. Change to read, the players roll off, the winner takes the first turn. Which, for a lot of pro players, just feels really weird. Like, wait, there's no decision at all. It's totally random. But when you think about it, there's no plus or minus to the roll. There's no seize the initiative. Before this change, whoever won got to choose. So, in my mind... Changing it to completely random just shifts a little bit of the favor back towards players who were more likely to make a mistake in picking who goes first or second. So if you had one player who's going to always make the decision correctly and another player who's 50-50 going to make the correct decision, after this change, they're both going to have the correct outcome 50% of the time instead of 25% of the time for the player who doesn't know what they're doing and 75% for the player who does. So that's the way I'm seeing this as, oh, okay. So if you didn't know who should go first or second, this is a change that favors you. Uh, yeah. Um, so it does make it easier for newer players. It kind of removes a little bit of that that um, choice paralysis, decision paralysis, the beginning of the game, which I, I'm all for. That's generally good. Um, I dislike taking away a specific option or a core part of uh, what might make a good player better than a, a player who is less experienced. Um, I don't like removing choices from players, so I don't know how I feel about this one. Um, I th I think the best thing about it personally for me is that it, it evens the playing field and that you don't know when you're building your army, you don't know if you're going to go first or second every game. It's literally a 50-50. It's you might as well just take the roll off out and just like, you know, twist a bottle or flip a coin at this point. So there's no there's no reason at all. If you win the you win the roll off, you go first. If you don't, you you don't go first. To me, that's basically fifty fifty. There's no ways to modify that either, right? So, um, when you're building your list, there were people who built their lists expecting to go second almost every game, and they succeeded because going first was perceived as so good, right? So they would build a list to go second. And if they won the roll-off, they would go second. And if they didn't win the roll-off, their opponent would most likely take first. You know I was one of those players, Pablo. Yeah, you absolutely were one of those players, Brandon. I know. So <laughs> um, it, 
It does take that away. So when you're building your list, there is a little bit more that you have to consider when when you're playing a game of 40k. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know how I feel about it. I'm leaning. I don't like it, but I'm willing to play and see where it takes the meta. I, ultimately, I don't think it'll matter a whole lot. I think it'll matter more in our list building than our actual playing. Um, I think you just now it forces you to have a plan for both first and second. Like you you need to be prepared for both. Uh, yeah. You, oh yeah. You, know, you always and, needed that before. It's just now more obvious. Correct. It's it's more obvious now, and I agree with Brandon hundred percent. You know, most times, you know, if you got to choose, you just had to choose right. Do I want first turn, or do you need do I need to make my opponent take first turn so that they overcommit and I murder them on turn one, my first turn? So you know, now it just means okay. And and then with the changes which we're about to talk about, where second turn scoring at the end of the game happens, like. Now there's some really interesting like dynamics that happen with like going first and second. Well, why don't not, we just, not skip just to like that? Hmm? That's yeah, a big well, I mean that's that's another yeah. big one. Uh, Huge. So... That's like that is more impactful than rolling. Like I like the fact oh roll win I go first okay let's go. Like I like that it just quick and easy bam 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 boom beam beam like it's just ready ready rock and roll. But the change to scoring for not only the secondaries, but like the primary scoring for that uh, fifth turn is massive. It is humongous. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So here, here's what we're talking about. So um, they're changing, uh, they're changing um, uh, the rule. Primary objectives take and hold domination. Basically, this is a primary objective change. You um, In the fifth battle round, the player who has the second turn does not score any victory points at the end of their command phase, but instead at the end of their turn, they score five victory points for each of the above conditions they satisfy. So your secondaries, which largely didn't weren't affected at the end of the command phase anyways, um, the secondaries kind of, you get to choose um, based on the secondary you pick. But with the primary, before you can only score it at the end of your command phase. So you essentially... For the last player, you had one less scoring turn um, because you couldn't manipulate what your scoring was. Your turn four, or your, your yeah, your turn four was so more underpowered than your opponent because your opponent would get a chance to use their turn three to manipulate their final scoring turn, and then on their turn they could manipulate their final scoring turn and affect yours, um, putting a lot of pressure on the last player. Yeah. yeah, like um, you know, you being able to have that f- bottom of fifth, and be like, I went first. It is my fifth turn. I can stop you from scoring any points on turn five. That's like an almost an auto win. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And and it just changes that dynamic where if you're smart, it, if you're going second, the the your, the player who went first had the the pressure grabbed the board control, had that first move to kind of dictate the pace of the game in a lot of situations. Like, if you're going second, or you have an army that plays well, like a lot of Eldar factions that have, like, lots of little units that you kind of throw away over the course of the game, and then at the end of the game, you could be like, I can, I've planned for this, I can commit to taking these objectives to get myself 10, 15, 5 points, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to change the way a lot of matchups happen, and... I think it's a good thing. I think it's very, very powerful, but I think it's a good thing. Yeah, it's definitely a buff to going second. Um, although they, they changed the roll-off, so going second isn't something that you that you can guarantee um, like previously before. So um, I like it a lot. I, I like this change, especially in tandem with the player's roll-off rule. Um, I think both of them together are, are really solid. Uh, they definitely changed the game up a lot. 
subtly. Um, I don't, I still don't know if going second is going to overtake going first, or I guess the perception of going first and winning is going first still is really powerful, um, especially if you take the right secondaries. Going first can be absolutely punishing. I agree, but, this, but at least this is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. So, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, you're also not going to be able to take advantage of going first as often either because of the random roll-off too. So The next three changes are all interesting in that they're all changes to secondary objectives. Yes. So we talked about while we stand, we fight, um, changing models to units. Uh, bring it down was also changed. Um, they changed basically the um, victory points scored. So No, I don't think we talked about while we stand, we fight on the podcast. But basically, instead of most expensive model, it's most expensive unit. So before you could yeah. have three characters. Now that's much, much harder to do unless you have a bunch of MSU. So, yeah, we, we talked about it um, when we talked about the core rule book. Oh, okay. Then thank goodness. Um, what about <laughs> the next one? Bring it down. Um, so uh, this one got changed. So essentially you get, uh, essentially there's a wider range of uh, scoring opportunities. So um, you get one victory point for each enemy monster vehicle with a wound structure of 10 more that was destroyed. Two victory points if they have 11 or 19 wounds, and then three victory points for wounds characteristics of 20 or more. So, so this is huge for guard. Humongous for Dark Elder. <laughs> guard um, really relied on a lot of vehicles that had 10 or fewer wounds, and they would give up so many points. So now that it's only one point for each of them, Sentinels, Chimeras, those might actually see the table again. Hello, listeners. Um, this is just an ad placement. Okay, Panda, this is where I want the ad. Okay, I want it to say Frontline Gaming presents the Frontline Gaming Network. Chapter Tactics. And then... Okay, and then I need you to get me the rights to Don't Stop Believing by Journey. All right, doable. Okay, I love the enthusiasm. And then after that, I need you to put an advertisement right here. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. You know, I didn't really like it. Neither of them were very good. They weren't very professional. Yeah, needs improvement. Okay, Panda, this is what I need you to do. I need you to apply to both of those companies, join their advertising department, and then fix these ads. All right, let me just update my resume. Okay, while she's doing that, back to your regularly scheduled episode of Chapter Tactics. Yep. Yeah, the vehicle MSU, which actually, uh, which is actually kind of um, armyless that I really like in the meta. I really like what like Venom Span does and um, uh, transport. You know, garage. I know, I know. It sounds people don't think about like Venom Spam and and garage metas as being like good, but I really like them um, because they do force your opponent to have to deal with these vehicles and and kill things and target priority and it's just i really like it it's a very dynamic way to play the game it can be boring sometimes in the mirror match not gonna lie but we didn't have a lot of it so 
It also means that as a player who's playing that sort of like MSU style army with like transports and little units, uh, for example, Chimera Guard or Sisters of Battle and Rhinos or Immolators or whatever it is that you were taking that kind of like gave away, you know, all these points. It also means that um, your opponent can't just double up on secondaries as easily. Like before playing, like any army I played, if they saw, oh, you've got some Venom, some Raiders, a couple of Ravagers, like I'm taking Big Game Hunter and you've got a bunch of little units, I'm taking Grind Them Down. And instantly it was like 30 points that they were going to get like almost every single game. <laughs> At least now it's like you can mitigate it a little better with while still having a good theme to your army that kind of fits that play style if you want to really focus on that play style. It, you know, Eradicators is still a thing. Things that kill tanks are still very much a thing. So it's not like your tanks survive anymore. Uh, it just means that you're not punished um, exponentially twice, right? Like by taking, say, like an MSU-style build. You know, it's already hard for you to defend objectives anyway because you've got tiny little units that can get blown off the table really quickly. So in the primary, you're like mitigating it. It's just, it it's not as easy for your opponent to go, oh, you know what? I'm going to pick this one, that one, get 30 points and good luck trying to catch up when you're 30 points down right yeah. off the bat. In order for them to do yep. that, your list has to be really extreme though, which is in line with the next one, which is the change to Abhor the Witch. Now it's three victory points for every character with the Psyker keyword and two points for every unit with the Psyker keyword, which when you think about it, it's pretty much Grey Knights and Thousand Suns. <laughs> Anyone else is not going to get five Psyker characters running around in your army that you have any hope of dealing with. Usually it's two to three. So yeah. if you yeah. want to bring a handful of Psykers, you're not just going to give up easy secondary points for your opponent if those Psykers kill themselves. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I think Abhor the Witch was already not a great secondary to begin with. I think they should have... Um, I mean, it, it does specifically hurt like Grey Knights and Thousand Suns. Um, but it does have the condition that you have to have no Psychers in your army yourself, which yes, is yes. interesting. Well, I mean, if you're a Xenos army like Necrons or Tau, sure. But a lot of other armies, that's giving up something useful that they could have brought. Yeah, I think this should have been like a Black Templar one, like in a White Dwarf or something, and then they should have replaced it with something a little more general, instead of not specific, but um, I get that they were trying to have the, like, the Psyker secondaries, you know, because the Psychic phase is a thing, so... I get talking it. about Abhor the Witch, I think the last thing they did is they uh, clarified that you know, psychic actions can be denied and you can use stratagems on them that can deny psychic powers. Yes. And I think that was like one of the last things they really did, um, which is more of a clarification. Sure. Okay. It means that if you're a Black Templar, you can four plus, you know, stop someone's mental interrogation or psychic ritual or something. Um, how, this is where I get another of my double facepalm moments. Games Workshop went through the trouble of rewriting four of our secondary choices and you know even how we score points and yet they didn't take the time to look at all of the other secondaries that are never used to reshuffle them into something that we might want to use that's a little bit of a face bomb for me like why couldn't they have just released something with other secondaries to make them usable like cut off the head like who takes that no one no, no one. one takes cut off the head yeah, I, I like the idea of um, of seasons. Uh, you know, like cut off the head might come into it. play when New Mortarian is your enemy warlord and your guard with a shadow sword, and you use 
um, vengeance for Cadia on your shadow sword to just zap Mortarian <laughs> off the table turn one. But other than that's that, that's not fun though. That's like here's fifteen points sure. for you know. Anyways, eh. that's ten points. It's like it's not even. It's like twelve points or something. Oh yeah, it's not even. And and points. and if your opponent's being like super like gung ho, you'll be like, sure, I'm just gonna reserve him and i won't use 500 points Mari, but you won't get any points that's right. where so we both lose. like <laughs> and at that point you're like well i shouldn't have taken cut off the head now should well, i maybe that's your <laughs> faq is uh starting from the turn that the unit's on the table then yeah the score. or well, then something really anything good. would have been better than not touching oh, it at all gosh. you know there's so many like there's there's so much um there's so like much potential in the secondary choices that they could oh, yeah. have really like taken some time to maybe rejig some of them be like okay does anybody really take you know uh the reaper unless you're playing well sometimes you do but does anybody really take i don't know um teleport cut off the head or cut off the head or purse the veil or whatever you know like let's <laughs> yeah, yeah, can... well, anyway when we get tournaments gw is really when we get more widespread tournaments gw is absolutely going to see what secondaries people are taking and what they which ones they aren't just like the ITC did when we when we switched over to the picking secondaries as well, um, you know. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, I'm in agreement with you, Scary. I'm not ready to condemn them yet because we don't have all the. Codexes. I said it's a double face palm. Okay, I just said okay, double I'm face not, palm. Like I'm come not ready on. for the double face palm. The, sing, okay, the single face okay. palm. I, I'll double face palm when all the codexes come out <laughs> and they still don't change the general. Like it. We'll, we'll Fair see. enough. It, you know, once all the codexes have their own like list of secondaries, fine. You'll pick two from like the rule book. You'll pick one from like your codex or two from code or whatever it is that you can, right? And that's fine. And then you'll. It's just it would be nice to have more options or to get the ones that are not an option to be like somewhat of an option, maybe sometimes. Yeah. All right. Uh, they talked about uh, changing the embark keyword on the. Yeah, I think the rest of it is basically big rulebook changes. I'm looking through it right now. Yeah, it looks like copies, copycat based rulebook. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. All right, cool. So we're going to close the book on that one. Now let's talk about the points values and specific faction nerfs. So there's a lot here. I'm not going to lie, guys. I didn't read through everything. I don't have access to every codex. Well, why don't we um, start with everyone's favorite faction? Yes. So we can do that. So we're going to start with uh, Necrons for me. Um, they're, they're the easiest ones for me. But basically, um, not much not much changed for the Necrons. Uh, they didn't change any points. The reanimator uh, in got the, a lot cheaper. Yes, the Canoptic reanimator did get 30 points cheaper. Yes, 30 points cheaper. So I think it's like 90 points now instead of 120 or something like that. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, it wasn't really used a whole lot. And I don't think it's that's going to change at all. That's one of those Even units. with a big 30-point drop, you know, it's funny. I it's, put it in one battle report. My opponent put it in one battle You know how much, like, hate that model got for being, like, <laughs> one, like, narrative battle report? Not even, like, you know, anyway. Just <laughs> it's it, it, it is um if you're if you're in the Necron Facebook group it is absolutely the laughing stock model of the codex. I don't. What's really funny is I don't even think it's like that bad. It's not that terrible. If especially it's, if you can hide it behind like a 
piece of terrain. You know, it's just big and and you know it's hard to hide. But whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not great either. Like let's let's yeah. be honest. It, it you know, eh, but it's not that bad. Uh, the other one, the one I think that felt a little weird and dare I say it, heavy-handed, is the the increase to the Satan shard of the Nightbringer. Right. So that's all of the Satan. The name Satan were 350 points. The Deceiver, the Nightbringer, and the Void Dragon. All of them, the 352 points. I actually think they were all really, really well internally balanced. Um, with the exception of the Nightbringer and his new FAQ, where he got to, you know, destroy, um, ignore people's wounds. So the Nightbringer could theoretically kill all of the Satan, and they couldn't kill him back because he ignores their wounds. So the Nightbringer was special in that regard. But in a vacuum, I think they were all balanced pretty well. They increased the Nightbringer by 20 points. Now, the Nightbringer is 370 points. It doesn't matter. It's not that you big were already spending 300. Yeah, you were already spending 350 points for Nightbringer anyways. So 20 more points isn't that much of a difference. It's like two warriors out of like one 20-man squad or or something. It's, it's not that great. The thing I don't like about it is the Nightbringer, if you look at the, the lists that are competing and doing well in the... In the Necron lists, the Nightbringer actually isn't being taken that much. It's more its more of like a mob mentality nerf. Because so many people saw the Nightbringer early on out of the gate as the choice. Because it was so good. And there was no one to playtest it. And um, myself and other people, under other uh, quote-unquote pundits and experts, um, uh, knew that the Nightbringer was a bit of a... Um, a red herring, right? It's just, it wasn't as good as people were saying. It definitely wasn't bad. It was just, it was very overrated in the sense that it was good, but not at the level people were talking about it. And I think GW kind of rode that hype train and nerfed it accordingly when they didn't need to. Yeah. That's my two cents. Uh, He's just the only one that people were really like, yeah, it's amazing. You know what I mean? And, um, and now it's like, well, it's amazing and you have to pay more for it than you used to. So... Yeah. Anyways, I, I mean, I, it was a small nerf, so it wasn't it wasn't like the end of the world. It's not like they raised it by like fifty points. I actually thought they might change the Silent King a little. Um, the the Silent King right now, it, I think he's so close to being like a perfectly costed model. The one thing I don't like about the Silent King is the ability for him to auto blow up. I felt I felt like they should have probably touched that a little because right now at four hundred and fifty points for everything the Silent King brings you, I think he's pretty well balanced. Um, he's not the best model at 450 points in one given category. He's a phenomenal model. But I do think that the they could have nerfed him a little by just making the explodes result, maybe making it on a 6+, plus and then making him not be not be eligible for that stratagem to auto-blow up your vehicle. Not only because it's, it's not a fluffy thing at all. Like, it's literally the, like, king of the Necron tier. Like, this ancient Aeon's old you know, super intelligent being, right? And it's just like, he goes down, his throne goes down, and you're like, okay, time to blow this shit up. You know, it's just, it doesn't make sense. But also, it's 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 counterproductive to, I think, the way people want GW to play their game. I don't think GW want people to blow up their super cool models or run them into your opponent and then blow them up for a free D6 mortal wounds to basically everything within spitting distance. Um uh, who doesn't want to go? My, you know, I've been away for many, many, many millions of years. Ah, boop, 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 self-destruct. 
it, it is such a it is such a like mustache twirling villain thing though. Just, like, <laughs> that's, that's a time for a future FAQ. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think they could have nerfed the Silent King a little bit. Like, I'm not talking like sweeping nerfs here. Like, but just maybe make it so that it's not uh, affected by that stratagem or so. I don't know, something small. But I thought they might do something like that. They didn't. Um, other than that, they didn't change anything else to Necrons. So that's it. Necrons are done. So I can cover Space Marines really quick. Ooh. That's your favorite? You said favorite. Wait, did I hear this right? Everyone's Brandon favorite. Is going for favorite? Yes. Space Marines? Everyone what? wants to know what happened to Space Marines, I'm sure. Uh, yes, yeah, Space Marines are next. So yes, yeah. some of this seems like popularity contest, and some of it's like, yeah, that's right. So, for example, Inceptors are five points more expensive. I don't know why it's not tied specifically to Plasma Inceptors, because I don't even think anyone knows what the other Inceptors are. But um, <laughs> that's fine. True, true, that is truth. Eradicators, the guys with Meltas, went up five points per model as well, which is reasonable. Outriders went up five points, and I thought that, eh, they, whatever, they were fine. And then Servitors were very slightly increased in points. But the biggest thing, my favorite thing that got changed with Space Marines, they can no longer resurrect ATVs with Apothecaries. Oh, thank Broken shit gone. goodness. It's not like they can't do it to just regular attack bikes. Nope, but, they still know. can, but not to ATVs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so well, no free 10 to 15 wounds for you or whatever so with the double heal and the... and the, Anyway, lots of cool stuff. Good that. riddance. Good on, riddance. On an 80-point model. Eight wounds yes. on an 80-point model. Bringing yeah, it's it back. disgusting. Gross. Oh I'm glad God. that's it, gone. I'm glad oh, that's yeah. gone. It was no stupid. tears shed from this icon. <laughs> but uh, everything absolutely. else is pretty much the same. Yeah, I think they probably could have done gotten the attack bike too. To be honest, nah, the I think blade guard veterans could have afforded to go like, like blade guard veterans. Are oh yeah, blade guard yeah. being five points more per model, I would have been totally fine with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're still oh, really, yeah. really then, good for you. The only get. other thing, really, with the FAQs is they specified that your super doctrine applies if you use an ability that changes the doctrine you're in, which makes yes. sense. I you know I figured it always worked that way, but I guess they had to yeah. clarify. Likewise. Yeah. yeah which some people just didn't little... like having space wolves have extra attacks on turn one or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah that, that's um that's kinda cool. I agree with you, Brandon. I think the Blade Guard veterans probably should have gotten nerfed. Um the Inceptors I think the plasma could have gone up, but they could have even brought the bolter version down like five points and then raised the I think the, most forty K players who don't play Marines don't even know there is a Bolter Inceptor. It's it's the kit that came in the Dark Imperium box that's wallowing on the eBay no, uh, most, listings. Most people right just now. know the heavy bolter as the plasma type, right? Like the heavy uh, bolters are just the plasmas. That's 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 the the, the <laughs> lowest form of uh, counts as that we've come to. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, those those in, the, those bolter inceptors need a lot more love. They haven't been they haven't been relevant since they got released. And they weren't relevant then either. They've never been relevant. Correct. I'm, I'm, yeah. So, anyways, they're they're the assault centurion of eighth and ninth edition. Okay, so I'll wrap this up with the Xenos uh, slash Eldari focus. Um, Harlequins, meh, nothing really changed there. Uh, Eldar got a lot of um, like 
point decreases when it comes to like their troops. A lot of the like a 15 to 20% decrease on a lot of their models, making things like actual troops a little cheaper and like units a little cheap. Like they just, they seem to have gotten a pretty good shake of things. But I think the biggest like, ho ho, what? Are the Dark Eldar. And a lot of the people have been crying typos and <laughs> changed uh, by accident. But there hasn't been like a, a a fix in a couple of days, so uh, maybe it was intended to have Reaver jet bikes drop by half and uh, racks to go, you know, to eight points each and and go up to squad of Sorry, twenty. Reaver of jet 10. bikes at ten points per model makes me. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know how to describe that. That is an insanely <laughs> priced model compared to say. Cabalite so, warriors at eight points. It's so bad. Like, uh, then again, you look at like Admech dog horses that are like sixteen points for like three wounds and like a crazy amount of special rules. Don't bring but, those like, guys into this. We know about them. <laughs> okay, but like ten points for Reaver jet bike. Like seriously, that means I can take thirty six of them for less than four hundred points. Like, what madness is this? <laughs> <laughs> so let's just say I'm not holding my breath. I'm going to wait till the codex comes out, but I'm totally using some of the crazy stuff that we can, at least for now, <laughs> until it gets changed. I, I imagine a lot of these changes are going to be what's in the, the codex too. Like it, it's, it, you know, the codex is, especially the ones that are coming out recently, they've already been printed. They're, they're already yeah, these are all printed, points ready to go. for the new codex. Yeah, so... You know, I think the only relevant points changes that are that are um, probably going to change are going to be ones where where codexes are scheduled way far out, where we have no no idea when they're coming out. So, the thing I do hope yeah. is that witches and Cabalite uh, warriors get relevant again. Those models are cool. You know, the Dark Elder don't even get me started. We could like I'd hijack the whole podcast here but it's nice to see that there's some point changes just across the board like some armies like Tyranids you know got a few couple of point changes here on units they like like Hiveguard and some armies like Orcs didn't really get many oral changes really. except for like you know cannons went down or something technically the custom but, um, force field Big Mac is 60 points again for some reason you know, uh, but I do like two things. One is they're doing the new point system in the way that they've been doing it in new codexes. So they release the points and like this is your unit or model, and these are like its upgrades that it can have, and anything that it, that's not listed is just free with the base cost of the model. That if it's an option, basically, and I like that a lot. Less math is good. Um. Uh. With with Tau, I don't think they. I um so with the Chow they changed the uh the way Kalyan and Monka works. Um basically it's uh at the start of your turn you once bat once per battle you use Kalyan or Monka, which I think doesn't change. I think you still do that. But with Monka you uh actually don't know what the change is. I don't know the difference I haven't played Tau in so long against Tau in so long that I don't know what Kalyan and Monka do exactly. Tower in a sad place right now. <laughs> um, but as I understand it, I think they changed it so you could only use it uh, once per battle uh, based on... Uh, basically, you can only do it once per battle even if you have multiple commanders that can do it, I believe is what they clarified. And then um, other than that, I don't think they changed much. But I might be wrong. I know there's some Tau players in there. Yeah, Kion and Monka are the I can advance and shoot and then I re-roll the hit. <laughs> yep. Um 
And then uh, Bobby from the Patreon says that hen flamers for Gene Circles went up. Um, they they were they the like inch range now. That's true. They they were also one of the only good things in that codex. You can't you can't you got to keep those Gene Circles down. You got to make because they were dominating have, all the top tables. Have to yeah. triple have to triple um triple nerf stuff. Now, That's you know you just, it's like one two three you're out. There are a couple yeah. of odd changes. One of them is that Harlequins are virtually unchanged. So they they pretty much escaped any changes whatsoever. And then and when oh, I compare Chimeras and Rhinos, it doesn't make sense to me anymore. So they're the same toughness, but a Chimera is now five points cheaper than a Rhino. Like, it's 80 points for a Rhino now, and it's 75 for a Chimera. And the Chimera has a multi-laser and a heavy bolter. And the rhino has a storm bolter. Like yeah, I don't but understand. The, but the it's rhino has the eradicators and blade guard veterans backing it up. Yeah, wouldn't it just make more sense to make those models more expensive? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no, you got to pay a premium for your rhino. The rhino, you know what? No, the rhino has to pay a premium to be in the Space Marine Codex. Okay? It's the vintage tax. Yeah. Okay, it's been around for a long time. But expect <laughs> guard players to bring more Bulgrins because Bulgrins are now 35 points per model, which is yep. solid. It's good. Fewer guardsmen because guardsmen are now 55 points a squad, so five and a half points Ooh. a model. And oh a lot gosh. more Chimeras, because Chimeras are 75 points for 7 T7, 10 wounds, 3 up armor. That's yeah, only chimeras one point I like, to bring it down. I like Chimeras. Now, also, I do want to say, I don't know what relevance this have this has, but in the turn FAQ, Spore Mines can't gain experience points in a Crusade. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're reading the Crusade FAQ? No, it's yeah, in it the main the FAQ. Crusade. The only FAQ change Tyranid's got was to clarify that spores cannot do actions, which is okay, relevant, but that spores cannot gain experience or battle honors in Crusade. And it's the same paragraph in the FAQ. Damn it, GW. <laughs> I wanted my spore Mickey, my spore my Mickey, to ascend into the Swarm Lord, and now I can't have that happen. <laughs> Because uh, you know somebody over there got you know their friend decided to make a super elite spore mine and that spore mine blew up their tank and he was so upset that he decided to put it into an FAQ. Well, they also get like, spores, enough apparently. of these god dang spores and my and my god dang chimeras. Yeah, exactly. That's why it was probably a chimera, Scary. That's why the chimera got lower than the rhino. They're like, no, this is too good. Oh man. Uh, so um. Uh, before we get into general thoughts, um, one thing I also wanted to point out was Forge Rule didn't get changed at all in this FAQ update. Uh, I know they did get the FAQ in December. Um, I was kind of hoping they would look at Forge World again. Um, just because the, the points changes in December were already really outdated, uh, and kind of disconnected. But anyways, so that's it. Forge World is not touched. Um. What do we what do we think? Do we think so I I think I've been from the content I've been watching online, it feels like more and more people are ready to crown Harlequins as the best faction and to knock Space Marines off that throne. So my question to both of you is where do you think all of the factions lie? Do you think anything was changed up really dramatically? Uh or do you think you've still kind of got like the three obvious best factions that hasn't changed um, and every faction pretty much relatively is hanging out where it was hanging out before the big FAQ. I think the 
tier one factions are still tier one. And some of the tier two factions are like tier 1.5 now, which is nice. Like guard did get a serious boost with Bogren getting cheaper, but then their guardsmen going up in cost kind of obliterated all their gains. So it's like, ah, so close. I don't know. I, I don't feel like any of these FAQs were super game breaking in terms of uh, the codex specific entries, but I uh, neither same with the, the points changes. The points changes are all fairly minor. The big changes were the changes to the missions. I'm curious to see how that's going to change how the game is played. And I am curious about why Harlequins didn't change at all, like even a point or two of change. Maybe they're still waiting. I don't know. But I think you're right. I think it's still Harlequins and Space Marines that are the number one armies right now. I would agree with that. I think the if anything is going to shake up the status quo, it's the missions and the secondaries more than the points and everything like that. Being able to, um, I think that's going to be the biggest impact, and we'll we'll see in a couple of months how big of an impact that has made. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with both of you. Um, I I think changing up the missions, the way they change them specifically, does have the ability to benefit. Uh, factions that were underpowered in in the sense that now they have a little bit more of an even playing field they don't have to specifically uh worry about fact getting beta striked out of existence not being able to do anything because your opponent's you know was going second they don't have to worry about going second and being absolutely steamrolled by armies that'll steamroll you um it 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 just helps a little bit i don't think i'm not looking i'm not saying that there's going to be any sweeping increases to like gene sealer cult or whatever but We'll see. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see what people where people go, and then absolutely, if you're looking at this FAQ and you're looking at your faction or lamenting uh, at the lack of change to your faction, that's not where you should be looking. You should be looking about how you look. You should be looking at how the core rules changes affected your list that you were bringing or you were planning to bringing to events when events started happening. So, absolutely agree there, Scary. All right, so uh, that's it. Speaking of factions and the future, Brandon and Skari, what are some of your plans for 2021 as as, uh, content creators, as uh, players, as, you know, if you want to take it more personally for yourselves, um, why don't you talk about uh, some New Year's resolutions and some goals you have for the future? Well, Skari, you're getting a new book update here pretty soon, so why don't you start us off? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Brandon. So... In terms of personal goals, I've been working out, kind of like following like a workout routine. Um, the aim is, yeah, I'm going to be 34 now. So I, I'm sort of like doing a preemptive strike to make sure that I, I'm feeling healthy and in a good routine by the time I'm 40. So it's like a 10-year plan to get myself into the habit of eating healthy and acting healthy. So that my sitting at my desk and doing live streams and stuff doesn't like completely atrophy my body. Um, and that's like on a personal note. On a, uh, on, a, on a channel note, really focusing a lot on like I've got this whole how to play Warhammer series that I want to film. So that's like early quarters. I want to kind of focus on that plus the Drukhari Codex. And I'd really like to crack 30,000 subscribers on YouTube by the end of 2021. 
and I'm almost at 20k. So it'd be it'd be cool to do that as a goal. It's a stretch goal, but it's a it's like I'm going to be doing. I'm going to make steps towards that. You know what? I'm going to go subscribe with all of the Frontline Gaming accounts right now. You should go to as well. Go to Scardcast on YouTube. I'm going to mute his starting video so that you don't hear it in the podcast. Uh, Why, thank you. You're doing it right now while we're recording. Now, that literally is right loyalty, now. buddy. I love it. Thank you. It's, I, I did the same thing when I signed on to your Patreon all those years ago. Nice. Well, anyways, so, so log on to the personal account. Now we're logging on to the FLG account number one. Now we're logging on to the business account. Anyways, Brandon, while I'm doing this, um, why don't you just a little bit about some of your goals for the future? Well, I think there's a meme that floated around for a while with um, Fat Thor and InShape Thor, and I'm trying to stay more on the InShape Thor side because if you're in COVID lockdown like we are in California right now, then you're going to be one or the other. So trying to stay physically fit and mentally healthy is a good start. Otherwise, um, I have a new daughter since last year, so that's been a big change in my life and um, trying to become a good dad. And then I also have a new sister's army, which is getting more and more painted right now. So I am itching to bring it to a real table because we've been in no games for months and playing TTS when I can. Unfortunately, most of my TTS games have been blowouts, which doesn't tell me very much. But um, polishing that sister's army up a little bit to see how well I can do, and looking forward to playing that in the future. Like uh, right on. I think yes. in chat people were calling sisters tier one, and I think that's arguable. You could definitely argue that sisters are tier one. They seem pretty solid right now, even with the um, points changes. Yeah, sisters are absolutely. They're, they're definitely um, up there. Uh, tier one for sure. Don't know if they quite break into the top three. I still need to see specifically where certain Space Marine factions uh, compete. Although I don't see Space Marines falling out of the top three easily. Like that's, no. you know, I, I think if anything, sisters are going to go in there and compete with Chaos for the best for the top three factions. Sisters have units that can make long charges reliably because of Miracle Dice. Uh, mm-hmm. So long as you have the command point to advance and charge. Combined with, if you're Bloody Rose, when those units complete charges, the enemy unit will disappear. Even if you're a Death Guard, White Lord, Terminator squad, a Bloody Rose um, Zephyrim unit is going to give you a bad time. They are so strong. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Skari. You ready? You got... Oh, I just uh, signed out instead of showing all my accounts. That was a bummer. Anyways, uh, you got eight new subscribers. Oh my goodness! That's, Thank that's you, how many, Frontline Gaming. That's how many accounts I manage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of lot of accounts. Now you um, have to put uh, watch all my videos and like all my videos and comment on all my videos, oh so that the algorithm god, god is like massively happy, and everybody can like <laughs> get recommended one. I'm gonna Woo! comment. <laughs> I'm gonna comment to myself in all of the videos. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna go in there There's and a just system. be like, "Hi, Frontline Gaming PD Pob. Hello, gonna... secondhand shop, Frontline Gaming PD Pob." <laughs> Have a conversation with yourself on different computers. There is, you know, this this um this video is producing engagement. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, look at all these different Google accounts talking to each other <laughs> from the same IP. What? Yeah. <laughs>
Uh, all right. Okay, everyone. Um, so we're going to jump into the patron questions now. So if, if you're unaware, oh, also head on over to scarredcast.com, sign up for his Patreon. It absolutely helps him and his family more than it helps me and our Frontline Gaming Network family. Although if you're feeling like a 40k philanthropist, check out both. I think they're both pretty awesome Patreons. But we do open the floor to the patrons at the end of every episode. So if you're listening to this live and you're a patron, put your questions in now because the delay is going to make it so that we don't get to your questions in time. Um, so put those questions now and we'll read those off of the Facebook live chat um, and uh, we'll jump right into it. Okay, first first question comes from patron Kelsey. How do you as players deal with FAQs drastically changing the way your army plays, its competition, etc. when preparing for a tournament, more so when it happens just before the tournament? So one way to think about it is if it looks like a unit is broken, suspect that it's going to get changed. So at the Bay Area Open a few years ago, uh, when the Jukari Codex was fresh for 8th edition, uh, Razorwing flocks were extremely cheap, and a player showed up with as many Razorwing flocks as he could fit into his army. On the way to the event, the FAQ changed the points value and doubled the cost for Razorwing flocks, which made them virtually unplayable. So that player had a bad time. They couldn't run that army anymore, not even anything close to it. So I don't even think yeah, they anticipated that... Or no, they played one game and it was a bad game and they didn't play after that. Yeah, that was before the, the that I remember that. I remember the player and obviously I'm not going to name them. Um, I definitely remember that situation. What had happened was the player flew out to the Bay Area to spend time with friends early before the BAO. And then what happened was the FAQ happened. It was it was like a it wasn't like a normal FAQ. It was like a hands down errata like GW just dropping the hammer on razor wing flocks because it was at the beginning of eighth edition when when things were really chaotic and so because that happened uh we had to adopt it because it was like straight rules changes um since then I, I believe we've op- adopted a different policy and also GW has gotten better about giving us updates they, they make it a little more obvious um so but step one, uh, yeah, that... if it looks utterly broken, don't base your entire army around it. Is my right? Advice. Unless you're a Harlequins player, you know what? Just just if keep, it's your keep troops' choice, you. I mean that's not going to change. Like even though Reaver Jet Bikes are ten points a model, I only own twelve. I'm not about to go buy twenty four <laughs> more right now at this moment in time. Um, because Let's be honest, Scar, you already have twenty four reverb jetpacks. No, they're, no, they're on I that never shelf did. Somewhere. I only have twelve. I have nine painted and three that I converted, so I have twelve. So I still need to paint three. However, I might get six more to have two units of nine, which is like my favorite unit number. Um, and then if they go up in points, then it doesn't. It's not like a huge like kick in the gonads. Uh, you know what? Lawrence Baker definitely has 24 Reaver Jet Bikes. 36. 100%. He's, he's, 36. Absolutely. He does. And that he went he like almost top 8 at LVO in 2017, was it? 2016. 2016. It's been a long time. Yeah, wow, that's a long, a long time. time. That's before I even hit the tournament scene. What? Yeah, it was it was a long time ago now. It was um it was yeah. 2017. It was so a while ago. Unless yeah, you're made of yeah. money, do not over pursue the meta. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, second question. Uh, patron Tim wants to know, does this FAQ timing content suggest a change in Games Workshop's attitude towards their rules? 
Uh, there's not a lot of gaming going on, but they are still paying close attention and seem to be ready to take small steps to balance the game. Um, in days past, it seems like Joe's take was always wait as long as possible, and then makes li- large, sweeping, overly corrective changes. Um, uh, so if, if you don't mind, guys, I'm going to take this one. I actually, I think it does... Uh, I didn't think it was possible for GW to evolve even more than they already have, but they are absolutely looking at the feedback. They're looking at tournaments. They're looking at, at all the data presented to them and making an adjustments accordingly. And it's, it's really showing like, I think that this FAQ is really, obviously it wasn't perfect, but I think they made a really clean job of the FAQ. They changed some things that are going to shake up the game, but none of them are bad. Um, They're just different or good. Uh, the points changes weren't, there weren't no sweeping points changes. The units that got their points changes made complete sense. Um, some of them didn't, but for the most part, I think that all the units, especially in the big factions, all the nerfs kind of made sense. They weren't nerfs, they weren't, they might not have been the nerfs that we wanted to see, um, specifically in terms of, uh, how the changes were implemented, but the units that were targeted were, were clearly needed to get adjusted a little bit so overall i would give this faq like a b plus which is by gw standards really good i also want to shout out um um my mike mike right who does all the tournament stuff and you know they've been reaching out being like we want feedback and so there's like the even this big like thing where we can submit feedback to mike 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 uh Brent, is it? Yeah, Mike Brent, right? Um, Mike Brent. And, and, you know, and that feedback, it's nice to know that they're out there still requesting feedback and wanting to know how things are going. So. All right. Uh, Now we're on to the Patreon live questions. First off, patron Nathaniel wants to know, I'm curious to hear if the hosts have thoughts on any of the new Death Guard stuff that has been previewed so far. Mm -mm -mm. I don't have any thoughts other than the Death Guard look really solid everything i'm seeing out of them makes them look vicious and updated and new and fresh um which i like i feel like they're way way better than they were before and i also feel like they're getting enough stuff to feel like you should just take them on their own and not mix in other chaos units like mortarian going to t8 alone is going to be insane the fact that he gets three warlords rates not that we know what they all do yet um before he was a unit that as a guard player i would just remove from the table turn one most games now he's going to be something where you might not want to kill him turn one because he's just so ridiculously tough to take down yeah yeah i, I think the t was brilliant and same with the blight lord terminators those guys are going to be insane and you will see units of five or ten all the time yep and then the death Shroud being able to like you know increase that i'm just going to say anything that has a minus toughness aura and a oh bolter is like 10 Gross. times more dangerous so than good. anything else. And then you combine that with potentially having ways to, I don't know, do mortals or do good AP on your bolters or whatever. And just bolters with minus, t- with like toughness modifiers or whatever. Like, it's just going to be scary. As a yeah. pointy elf that has normally like T5 vehicles and, you know, T3 infantry, um, I'm not a fan of massed bolter fire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dan, patron Dan wants to know, is the 20 block of Necron Warriors the new kill standard for 9th edition? I think it's a great DPS test. If your army can't yeah. handle it, 
even with you know 70% of what you started with, then um, you might have a bad time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you can't kill, if you can't 20-0 a unit of Necron Warriors with a 5-up Invulm, um, I think you definitely should rethink your army, um, because that also kills so much more than 20 Necron Warriors. Um, but uh, Necron lists in particular are getting more and more popular, and the Necron Warrior core is being a staple of all those lists. Now, the thing I will say about that, um, there are a lot of units that can fight twice, and armies that have the ability to fight twice and not just auto-die to the return swings of the Necron Warriors are probably fine. Yep. Um, I also think being able to kill T5 Marine equivalent things with Invulns, I think you absolutely need to be able to do that. Um, I know it, it sounds easy, right, because it's only Toughness 5, but th- there are more and more people spamming high armor T5 Invuln save units uh, with multiple wounds, and there's actually not a lot of stuff that can efficiently kill that. Like if, even if you think about like the strength five spamming, like strength five AP two one damage, like a gun like that, which is very common, but not quite at the level of boulder spam is not efficient at killing that. Could AP two might as well be AP one. Uh, the strength five is wounding on fours. You're not getting as many shots. So you're losing half of your shots there. And on top of that, these are multi wound models. So even two damage feels a little outdated. Two damage weapons feel a little wonky sometimes. Yep. Whereas before, two damage was was brilliant. We're heading into the realm of the melta guns in half range. Yes, yeah. The, if you can spam melta guns efficiently, harlequins, <clears throat> uh, you you're you're going in the right spot. So, um, okay, we got. Uh, Nathan wants has another totally serious question: to paint white white Drukari or to not paint white Drukari? What do you think, Skari? White Drukari, Skari. Um, I have a very simple solution to that on to that question. Hashtag just put paint on it. Just put paint. Three on colors. It. Doesn't That's matter. it. Pink. Do it. Just put paint on it. That's chartreuse. Uh, yeah, that's 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 how it is. You you need you have a problem, solve it with uh, putting paint on it. Yep, yellow, orange, and green. That's the color scheme of your future. Go for it. That's right. Um, I do agree, though. You should you should put paint on it some of it some way. And then finally, patron Bobby wants to know: So, what army or armies do you think gain the most from the change in timing of the secondary second player scoring the primary in turn five? I'm think- going to go ahead and say Eldar. I think anything that can like keep little objective secured units that are super super fast or units that are just super fast, um, late game really good because you could just like steal objectives. That's my vote. And, you know that like little biker units jumping onto objectives at the end of the game. Classic Eldar. Yeah, I'd have to agree. The first would be anyone who's mobile enough to get where they need to go, and the second one would be anyone who is resilient enough to have models survive to the end of the game that are obsec that can get to those objectives. So probably a combination of resilience and mobility is your best bet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, basically, to reiterate what these guys said, um, I think also large infantry units, large infantry models, you know, basically you, um, demons, tyranids, gene sealer cult, um, armies like that that use a lot of infantry that don't have a lot of shooting uh, I think are going to benefit from that also Eldar too 
as well. And sadly, Harlequins. Harlequins are going to benefit from it really well. Harlequins are so cagey at the, in those final turns um, and can do so much for what's left of their army. Agreed. We'll see. All right. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you're a patron and you're listening live, stick around. We're going to invite some people on the Discord if you want to come in the Discord and talk to us, ask us some questions. Um, other than that, thank you for listening. You're all the best listeners in the world. And as always, have a good one. <laughs>